This podcast episode is powered by Afropods, the world's number one podcasting platform for African stories. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Kenyan Wall Street Podcast. My name is Ali Mwakaneno, your usual host. So we just finished um, the judging session of the Angaza Awards, and I'm sitting with uh, one of our top finalists, Mary Wangari, who is the executive director at Equity Group Holdings. And I want to talk to Mary about what it means to be one of the highly achieved women in Kenya and some of her initiatives that she has done to impact people and women, especially um, in Kenya and across the region in the banking sector and to understand what um, this Angaza Award and other awards she has received mean to her. Welcome to the show, Mary. Thank you, Ali, and thanks for having me. All right, well, let's start right on. What has been your experience rising in your career, you know, all the way from moving from legal to becoming an executive director at Equity Group? Thank you, Ali. Uh, First of all, let me say that um, it's been a very exciting journey. Um, I joined Equity as the legal services manager uh, in 2004. And uh, what I now know is that the, the legal space uh, knows no bounds because you can stretch it the way you want. And that's exactly how my career has panned out, uh, stretching the legal uh, training and profession uh, beyond um, looking at law books uh, to really looking at numbers, looking at uh, strategy, and of course, looking at leadership and governance and compliance and risk management all in one. And, and, and I do believe now that, that that is extremely possible. So when I joined, the first thing I did was to start the legal department in an equity bank. That time it was equity bank. Uh, Actually, it was equity building society just before the conversion to a fully-fledged commercial bank, which was my first assignment in 2004. Um, The assignment was quite tough because it meant um, transferring a building society or converting it from a building society to a commercial bank. And, and yet the legal framework, it wasn't very strong in terms of supporting a smooth movement of what the, the, that kind of mutual building society into a commercial bank, because you remember that a building society is a building society under the Building Societies Act, whereas a bank has to be a corporate body under the Companies Act to be registered. So the thing we had to do was to start a new bank afresh and a company and then get the central bank license for that new bank and capitalize it. The capital base was required was 250 million and then transfer all the assets and liabilities of the building society into the new bank. Uh, Fortunately, we, we got the central bank approval for the transaction. And by the end of 2004, we opened equity as a fully-fledged commercial bank. 
that gave us uh, several opportunities or advantages because we were now able to give our customers a more enhanced uh, product offering. We had a very limited offering as a building society. We could not issue guarantees. We could not issue Forex uh, products. We could not issue current accounts, checking accounts, etc., etc. So we were able now to give, in addition to the normal savings and loan account, we gave our clients a more enhanced uh, product offering after conversion. And uh, because of that enhanced offering, and of course the enhanced capacity in the institution, the customer numbers grew exponentially. Uh, By 2004, we only had 500,000 customers. Uh, But today we have 14 million customers across the group. But but now, of course, we are talking about uh, six countries. So the business has grown. And um, so what we were trying to figure out is also because the demand for services was getting uh, higher, customers were demanding, they want equity in their locations. From 18 branches that time, we now have about 380 plus branches. Sorry, I was about to say 1,000. It's 380 (laughs) branches across the region. Uh, But in Kenya, we have about 280 branches. So you can see that the demand for services was very, very high. And that was probably because equity was giving the customers a solution, especially the customers who required the mass banking solutions. Uh, There were some of them are small traders, others are in, you know, retail businesses, distribution businesses, they are small and medium enterprises. Um, So it's been very, very exciting to see how customers are embracing uh, the products and they are growing their businesses. And uh, of course, we take pride to say that we are in our own way empowering our people uh, as we serve them uh, using banking and financial products and services. So in 2007, uh, the board uh, gave me an additional responsibility. And uh, from being just in legal, I was also serving as the secretary to the board at that time, but they gave me the enhanced mandate to become the director for strategy for the bank. Uh, So I took up that position, and that position also allowed me to understand the business very, very well. Uh, I understood the business model very well, but I can tell you it also took me time because, remember, my training was legal, but so I had to go out of my way uh, to teach myself, you know, the financial ratios. What do you mean when you talk about non-performing uh, f- uh, loans? What do you mean when you talk about cost of risk? What do you mean when you talk about uh, return on equity? What does that mean? And what brings about that? So I asked myself a lot of questions. And I also did a lot of reading. I studied the annual report uh, from page one to the last page. And over time, I was able to really understand the numbers. And the numbers were making sense to me. And more importantly, I could understand what really is good for the business and what is not good for the business. For instance, I knew that a high NPL ratio is not good. Uh, and I also knew that a high return on equity is good for the investors. Uh, so those are the things that I had to do uh, out of my own initiative. And I was able to perform that role very well. Uh, I must say that I was uh, happy that I achieved uh, quite a number of milestones while in that role. 
Uh, for instance, uh, that is the time we got um, a capital injection of uh, about 200 million uh, US dollars from Helios uh, as a private equity investor in equity, uh, giving them a uh, 25% of uh, the shareholding. Uh, and, and after that investment, uh, we started the regional expansion under my, my, my di directorship. Uh, the first country that um, we tackled was uh, Uganda, where we acquired a microfinance institution. Um, that institution is now a 56 billion Kenya shillings balance sheet as we speak today from a very, very small microfinance bank that we bought at that time in 2008. Then we did the, the, the greenfield entry in South Sudan uh, in 2009. Uh, 2011, we did a greenfield in Rwanda. Uh, 2012, we did a greenfield again in Tanzania. And in 2015, we acquired the credit bank in uh, DRC. And that gave us a footing in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, so it's been very exciting. But I think the most exciting thing for me, Ali, has been the fact that within uh, that um, for me, it looks like a short time. Uh, for some people, they think it's such a long time. They ask me, you have been in one bank for like, what, 17, 18 years? What have you been doing? You don't get bored. And I tell them, no, every day inequity is very exciting because you get an opportunity to do something that you had not done yesterday. And whatever you are doing is making significant impact to the people. So for instance, when I joined equity in 2004, the balance sheet of equity was only 4 billion Kenya shillings. Equity was only in Kenya. Today, we are talking about an equity group which has businesses, operational businesses in six countries in the region with a combined balance sheet of now going to 1.1 trillion Kenya shillings as of today. So, I mean, that is very exciting for me. And that's why I say that it's been a very, very exciting journey just to see what has happened within that short period of time. Uh, thank you. Mary, some of the things that you've held responsibility and you've contributed in, you know, to equity's financial performance, of course, apart from the expansion, which you've mentioned, include, you know, things like listing in on the Nairobi Securities Exchange, Uganda Security Exchange and Rwanda Security Exchange. And of course, given your position in leadership as someone who overlooks the subsidiaries across the six regions, this is quite an impressive performance. Who are some of the women that you look up to in your career? Um, you, you know, sometimes we go very far, very far off to look for role models or people that we, we, we can copy or at least get some inspiration from. But for me, I've not had to go very far uh, because um, first of all, I can say that uh, my own mom, she was not very educated. And she was not um, uh, highly placed in society. She was a peasant farmer from Nyeri, but she brought me up. And one of the things that she taught me was the value of hard work. And she always kept on reminding me that if you work hard, uh, that time we were living in the village, if you work hard, you are going to get yourself out of this village and you're going to be very successful and you will become very impactful. 
and you are going to be able to support yourself and others. So for me, that was the first lesson that I learned in life, the value of, first of all, working very hard and the value of also being a person of integrity. And she told me, integrity will get you very far because you don't have to look back all the time to see who is seeing you, who is watching you. You know that you're always doing the right thing. And for me, that was the first lesson that I learned from my own mother. Uh, she was uh, Cornelia Wanjiro. Uh, God took her in 2017, and we thank God for her life. Now, when, when I look at others who have also gone before us, uh, people like uh, Wangari Madai, the epitome of courage, the epitome of um, really being very protective of the environment, something that we used to take for granted before, or that we did not understand the significance. But when you look at, back at her interventions and what she showed us through actions, she never used to talk much. Wangari Madai never used to talk much, but right. she used to do a lot. And up to today, we can say she was able to save the environment by stopping some developments that would have been harmful to the environment. Uh, so we really appreciate what she did. When you look at the beauty of this country today, it is because of her initiative and that bug that she planted that has continued to grow. And we all recognize the need for, for you know, conserving our environment. And we are now focusing on uh, things uh, like climate change, and we understand the significance of those things. So many years, even after she left this world, so those are the people that um, have really inspired me, be a person of courage. Sometimes you have to go against the popular belief uh, as a woman. And, and she taught us that you can actually do that and succeed. And I think for me, the biggest recognition, you know, when she became the Nobel Peace Prize winner, it was a win for all women because, you know, it was a great recognition that uh, the women may not be celebrated on a day to day, but someone somewhere is seeing uh, what impact that you are creating. And for me, that was a very big win, not just for her, but for all the women, not just in this country, but in the whole world. And I, I really celebrate her even as she rests. Now, when you look at people like Mother Teresa, a woman of very humble background and means, but you can see the legacy that she has left, you know, working for, for the poor and no discrimination. And the lessons that she taught us that be humble in service. I have learned a lot from her, the way she conducted herself. I feel like I knew her, you know, just leading her stories and really celebrating also what she did with the poor women and the poor societies, uh, whatever. She touched a lot of lives. And for me, I always say that uh, I would like to be one like her, whereby when I'm long gone, who will remember me? Uh, I've read the book by Robin Sharma that uh, asks, who will cry when you die? And um, I think the biggest lesson for me is that if for you to be able to leave a legacy, it's not really about uh, what position you occupied. It's not about how much money you made. It's not about how much wealth you amassed. And all those things are okay and they're important. But what is more important is how many lives have you touched positively and how many positive interventions that have made a difference to the people that you have interacted with. That is what is really going to make a difference. And that is what you ought to be 
remembered for. And for me, that is what I'm really aspiring to do every single day uh, that I live. And so and celebrate every success that we make in terms of uplifting the lives of the others that, that we come into contact with. And most of them will be people that I don't know. People I will sometimes never meet. Sometimes there are people I will never have a conversation with. Sometimes there are people who will never say thank you to you because sometimes they don't even know you or who is doing this. But your intervention goes a long way and they will be praying for us because of the difference that we made in their lives. Yeah, so that, that, that's, that, that's really what inspires me. The, the women that you talked about, you talked about Mother Teresa, you talked about Yulep Mom and Wangari Mathai. Um, in as much as they've done great things for themselves and for the world, they've also faced a set of challenges, which I am sure you've, you have a share of your own. What are some of the hurdles that came through in your journey, you know, before equity and of course in almost two decades at equity group and how did you overcome them? Yeah, I, I think I would say that um, some of the challenges are external, but some are also within the person. And one of the challenges that we face as women is, um, first of all, the lack of belief in our capabilities. Uh, sometimes I've realized that sometimes we don't believe that we can perform as well as the men. Um, or sometimes, and I know Ali challenged me on this, that we don't talk much about what we are doing. We, we don't like, uh, uh, what do you say, blowing our trumpets. Right. <laughs> because we, we have been socialized not to talk about what we are doing. Then, okay, you just say, oh, okay, let, let me just do it. And then people will see uh, what we are doing. So that, that's uh, one of the weaknesses that women have. And women leaders run into that problem sometimes. So that sometimes, uh, even when you go for the interview, um, uh, if it's a male candidate, and we have seen this happen live, um, the male candidate will say, I'm the best for this position because I went to this place and I did ABCD. They really talk about it. But sometimes the women are not able to articulate that as well. Uh, and so one of the things that we have to do is obviously figure out how to grow that confidence levels uh, so that we can recognize and be proud of what and celebrate what we have achieved so far and be able to talk about it uh, so that others can be also can also learn and also because it also open doors for us. So that is the internal challenge that I see. Now, the second challenge, obviously, is um, the way society and business is structured right now. If you look at the statistics, uh, when you look at the board um, composition in most of our companies, including the Fortune 500 companies and our own local companies that are really growing well, uh, the listed companies, you, you will obviously see that there's a disproportionate uh, favor to the men in terms of leadership on the board, uh, in the top management, C-suite, uh, and et cetera, et cetera, on the top management of most companies. So there needs to be a very concerted, positive um, effort to bring up the women uh, to the top. And one of the things that has happened recently that is also exciting is to see, for instance, that the, the, the vice president of the, the, the U.S., for instance, now is a woman. And for me, that is very inspiring because it inspires us and it tells us that we can do it as well 
even as women, we are not disadvantaged and we have what it takes. We have the capability, we have the knowledge, we have the skills, we have the competencies. And that is the message that now I'm, I'm, I'm spreading across. And that is why if you look at my profile, I started the program at Equity so that we can encourage the women to be able to take up the leadership positions. We are doing mentoring and coaching uh, so that they can feel the confidence to take up managerial positions. And hopefully at the end of the day, we have a very good mix. We are not saying that the men should give up their positions. No, I don't think so. We are saying that there needs to be a good mix because the women will also bring a good perspective to leadership and governance. And, and I think the data is also suggesting uh, that women uh, at the board encourage even more, more sound practices and less corruption and better financial performance. I think there are some studies that have been carried out and they are confirming that position. So that has been one of my challenges. But I must say that I've worked with, um, in the board, for instance, I've worked with the directors uh, who are male who have really inspired me. I would say that they did not try to put roadblocks to me. They encouraged me. They gave me an opportunity because it's a board that is male-dominated that gave me an opportunity to become the director for strategy because they believed in my capability. And I did not let them down uh, because I performed very well that role until I was elevated to the current position I hold now, which is the group executive director in charge of the regional businesses and, and specifically focusing on leadership and governance. I do believe that that position is because I did well in the previous position as director for strategy. So th those challenges will be there. But what I do believe is that if we as women uh, are able to demonstrate our capability when we are given responsibilities, there's no, there's no obstacle to us growing. We are going to be given uh, higher positions. So what I believe is that fighting for higher positions is through demonstration of our capability and the fact that we can deliver and deliver well or even better than our male counterparts. So that's what I believe. So that's how we earn our space at the table by demonstrating and delivering and doing what we need to do. I'm not for politicizing the issue of gender. I'm really for us proving that we can do it. And when we are given positions, we do what we need to do because at the end of the day, we understand the objective of the business and deliver on those objectives, be the top performers. If we do that, definitely nobody is going to pass us when the opportunity comes up. But I also believe that um, we need to be well networked uh, so that somebody somewhere is also recognizing our capability as we go along. And that is why the networks that we create are important. Someone who can speak on your behalf when an opportunity is uh, coming up somewhere or they see some, something coming somewhere and they tell you, Mary, I believe this one might be suitable for you. That is what we need as we grow our careers, uh, Andy. Thank you. 
we'll circle back again to the conversation of building more bridges to have more women, especially on top level management. And I think it's a conversation that me and you have had on this platform, you know, before the Africa Women in Leadership Conference last year hosted by the Kenya Bankers Association. Meanwhile, let's move to the Angaza Awards. The Angaza Awards recognizes women in the finance and banking sector for their contributions in the sector, as well as their contributions in creating more sustainable, inclusive businesses. Why is it important for you that we highlight the achievements of women? Well, it is important because um, it is now a fact that that, um, we have great women in the public sector who are top performers, and we also have great women in um, the private sector who are also top performers and they have built businesses. I say this because um, in my position in equity, I also know several women, women who have started a business using a loan of 10,000 Kenya shillings. And they have built that business painstakingly over the years with a little support to businesses. Now we are talking about 10 million. Kenya shillings. We are talking about 20 million. We are talking about 50 million Kenya shillings worth of the size of the businesses. They have built teams. They have employed 200 people, 500 people, and they have an ecosystem that is even employing even more people. When you look at also the the private sector, we have women heading KEPSA. We have women in in the cabinet, we have women in parliament, we have women all over uh, making decisions, decision makers. So I think it is time for us to really celebrate these achievements. And and I am really happy because the organizers of the awards really thought about it, they thought through, and they really agreed that it was about time for us to celebrate these women. So I, I really celebrate them. By celebrating women, I think what will happen is that we are going to spark some inspiration, especially in the women who are coming up, you know, the young girls who are in school, the young girls who are in colleges, and the the young women who are also starting their careers right now after college and universities and wherever they went to study. Some of them are very innovative thinkers. They are thinking about starting their own businesses. Others are going into employment. So we can inspire them so that whether they go into entrepreneurship, start their own businesses or be employed by an entrepreneur, or if they get into employment in mainstream corporate, or if they go to the public sector, it does not matter. Wherever they want to go, wherever they want to build their careers, they are going to have that inspiration to shine because they have role models. They have women who have done it before them and they can look up to us. For me, I feel, uh, and, and, and the women in the bank, they always tell me that we look up to you. And I can tell you, Ali, some of these women, I do not know them. I've not met them face to face, but we communicate and they tell me, I love what you're doing. You being in that position, it inspires me to work even harder and to aspire to get there and to aspire to hold a position of leadership. So sometimes we influence directly, sometimes we influence indirectly, even when we are not aware. 
And I think we need to have more women inspiring others uh, really to go for it and try to make it in whichever area that they want to distinguish themselves. And I do believe that the, this, these awards are going to highlight that effort and it's going to really make it very attractive for the women to do the right thing and also encourage them because we also are learning, we are creating, we, we create a network of women who can talk to each other about their successes, talk to each other about the challenges that they're facing on a day-to-day -day basis as they try to succeed. How did you overcome this male-dominated area? How, how did you maneuver about this? How do you do? Like one of the questions I'm, I'm now getting uh, a lot uh, from my colleagues and from others when I talk to them is, how do you achieve the optimal work-life balance? Because it becomes a challenge when we start working and when we start managing very big businesses because the demands on time are really absolutely, they're just, they're high. I mean, your time is being demanded right, left and center. So how do you balance that? So there are many questions that we can talk about. Other women just want to know, how do I finance my business? How, how, so you create that network for exchanging ideas. And, and it's not just in Kenya. It's, and, and I love it that the, the organizers also involved the women across the region and across different uh, segments of the financial sector. Because I have seen bankers, I've seen insurance people, I've seen some people with a bias to technology, uh, fintechs. It's very, very wonderful. So I love that. So it's, it's, a, it's a great idea. Thank you. Away from you know women as a population, let's talk about Mary. Why did you as an individual apply for these awards? Uh, well, for, for me, um, one of the reasons is what we talked about earlier. <laughs> the fact that I've been too busy um, doing what I needed to do in equity. And um, in the past, to be very honest, I've not paid a lot of attention to awards and, you know, showcasing what I've done. And uh, I had a lot of soul searching last year when I looked back. And, and I said, wow, hey, I've been in equity for quite a while, and this is what I've achieved, just like I've outlined. And what really triggered uh, that thought was when we achieved a milestone of a trillion Kenya shillings balance sheet in equity group, which happened in December. And I told myself, wow, this is a big achievement. Um, and then I asked myself, okay, I've been part of this success story. I've provided leadership partly together with the rest of the team members. How can I inspire other women to also do the same, to play their part? And that is why I decided those thoughts had actually started earlier because we launched Equip in March of last year during the International Women's Day. Uh, and I said, I want to do more mentorship. I want to do more coaching. Uh, so that I can also play my part in creating new leaders as we go along, even as I continue my leadership journey, because I'm still continuing. I I'm not retiring yet. <laughs> I'm still on the journey. So that is what really made me think. And then I said, well, these awards, I think, first of all, 
when people know what we've been able to achieve in the last uh, several years, it will most likely inspire them. And it will show the young women that a woman can do it. A woman can do a lot. Despite all the challenges, you can do it. So that is what really inspired me because I want to really showcase the fact that women can be part of a big success story and they can play a key role, not just as bystanders, but really be the players and the key players in that success story. Because I think I've been a key success um, story player in equity over the last uh, 17 or 18 years. And I want other women to come up. A conversation that me and you have had in the past is with regards to the number of women enlisted companies in, in Kenya. And um, in as much as Kenya's financial sector shows some um, improvement or rather it's ahead compared to other sectors, there's still more to do and we both agree to that. And uh, it also happens to be one of the one of the metrics in the Angaza Awards. What are some of the things that you have done that you think have helped, to, especially to build uh, bridges for women in the financial sector? Okay, I, I would say that the, the first thing that um, we, we did quite a while back, that, that was way back, I believe, in 2007, uh, we thought of doing a loan product specifically targeted for women, and we called it Fanikisha. Fanikisha, you know, means... We can do it. Um, it is possible. It, it has that uh, inspiring uh, connotation of ability to achieve and overcome, and I can succeed. Uh, so we did it in a very special way because we also recognize that we still have some women who are in very disadvantaged position. So they have not started their businesses, so they don't even have any assets, they don't have collateral, they don't have anything on their hands right now. So what we did is we packaged it in six different levels. So it could accommodate women who are coming in as a group without any collateral, without any business. Uh, so we did a group lending product uh, whereby the only collateral was the co-guarantee of each other and they would get the money. So they'll save, save, save little by little and then they'll get some small loans just to start their businesses. And then you have other different levels where the women could come as individuals and it was tiered in different amounts, all the way from, I think, as low as 5,000 to uh, the highest um, is about 30 million. Now, for the more um, successful women who have assets and who have built their businesses to significant, significant size, I do believe that now that one has even been enhanced to 100 million because we are also working with other partners. Like recently we launched um, the AFAWA Awards, uh, so not awards, AFAWA Guarantee Fund uh, we, together with the African Development Bank. And uh, the focus is on women enterprises and it can go up to 100 million Kenya shillings for the more successful businesses or the bigger businesses or bigger size. But it can start as low as 50,000 Kenya shillings. So because we, we, I also believe that the best way to impact women, the best way to empower women 
is to actually assist them in their journey to financial independence. And, and that is why the Fanichisha product also comes with a financial literacy and training component. So the women also get trained on very basic um, aspects of uh, starting and if they have started, how do I manage my small business? Because one of the challenges that we, 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 we recognized through our research and talking to the women, we did a lot of focus group discussions, was that we take the girls to school, and I also went to school as a girl, but nobody told me how to do a trial balance. Nobody told me how to manage a business. Nobody told me how to manage my staff, which will start as one person as the business grows, uh, the messenger come, uh, tea girl come, what? But as the business grows, our employer, uh, an accountant, our employee, and a marketing person, our employee, you know, different people to do different roles. But nobody told me how to manage them. How do I retain them? How, how do I take them through leadership and training and development so that they can also enhance their potential to grow the business? So those are the kind of skills that we are impacting the women with. Um, and we always find that after that training, they become better managers of their businesses. They are able also to know there's a difference between the money that is capital for the business that I should not take away out of the business and the money that is profit from the business after my operations that I can take away. We teach them how to keep basic books of accounting, a trial balance, so, so that they record all their revenues, they record all, all their expenses so that they can also know, am I running the business at a loss or am I making a small profit? Because we also realize that most of our small businesses, that is one of the deficiencies that they have. They are never able to know, am I really making money or am I not making money? So that is one. And that product has been very, very successful. Um, I don't have the figures right now, but my last recollection is uh, that um, that product had cumulatively lent about 36 billion Kenya shillings to women. And now what we are doing is rolling out into the other countries. We have rolled it out in Rwanda. We have rolled it out in Uganda. We are, I think, currently working with the Tanzanian team uh, to roll it out in Tanzania so that it benefits the women in the region. And the women also get, you know, that discipline also to start saving making small investments because we do believe that that combination of small savings and small investments will ultimately help them to achieve that aim of financial independence, which is very critical to them as they go along. Now, the other uh, initiative I must uh, talk about, obviously, is um, I'm sure you know we have done the Wings to Fly, uh, which is a, a different kind of social program under the Equity Group Foundation, uh, which we launched uh, more than 10 years ago. And one of the things that we had to do was to make sure that there was equality between the beneficiaries. We take one boy and one girl, one boy for, well, there's a girl for every boy and there's a boy for every girl. So, so that there's that equality, one for one. 
And we do the same for the leadership training program that we take the university, uh, pre-university students through. Uh, one, every boy, uh, this one girl. For every boy, this every girl. And that is very, very deliberate so that you achieve that equality. And you're giving these uh, young people the opportunity, first of all, to be molded as leaders in addition to the financial support that they get uh, from, from the group. And those two programs have been very, very successful in creating new women leaders. We have seen uh, some of the women from that program occupying positions of uh, uh, responsibility. They are doing very well. Some have joined investment banking firms in the U.S. Some of them are, are running successful companies here. Some are running successful startups in Kenya and in the region. I know there are some who have even gone to Rwanda to start innovative programs there. So it is having very, very significant impact. And I must say that I'm very, very happy with those interventions. We recently uh, came together with the Maendeleo Yawanawake, who have about um, 25,000 groups countrywide and 4.1 million individual members. You know, for us, uh, when we remember Maendeleo Yanawake during our mom's times, uh, they used to be in every village uh, and, and they seem to be now rejigging that and, and making it very active. And they have various programs. So we are supplying water tanks and solar products, you know, to the women uh, so that, you know, they, they start thinking about um, clean water and, and clean energy and things like that. So there are so many interventions that are happening on the ground. And I'm very, very happy to be part of those uh, initiatives as a part of, of the group. Beyond some of the initiatives you've, you've done uh, with the group, which you've gone in great detail to describe, what are some of the activities that you engage in outside the bank and the banking sector that you think help to impact um, young women? Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, well, I joined the coaching and mentorship uh, program under the Women on Boards uh, Network. Uh, I think there's a program that is currently running. I'm due to do my interaction with, uh, with the ladies in that um, program. And again, it's for the same reason that we really need to mentor and coach the upcoming women. Uh, and some of the lessons are just the day-to-day -day lessons. They, they know what they need to do, but I think sometimes they just need someone to encourage them uh, and tell them they're on the right track, you know, just to keep on giving them the, you know, the nod and say, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Or you tell them, uh, there, if I were you, I would probably think of it this way. So that mentorship and coaching uh, I'm already doing under the Women on Boards and Network, uh, and I, I thank them for accepting uh, my service there. I also recently joined the, uh, the Africa Financial Industry Summit um, Advisory Board. So this is a board that is coming, bringing together thought leaders uh, within the region. And we had a summit in, uh, I believe it was around March, where we discussed the region, you know, the opportunities coming up, uh, talking because you know sometimes I think we talk too much about the challenges of the region that sometimes um, the opportunities get lost in that noise. We would like to talk more about the opportunities in this region and then we can deal with the challenges that come up 
in the course of exploiting those opportunities. So that forum was all about um, really highlighting the opportunities in the region. And uh, just as Pawalia conversation, you know, something like, um, you know, a country like DRC, very little data available out here. Um, I would like our women entrepreneurs to start thinking about uh, starting or uh, diversifying their businesses into the DRC, uh, for instance, because I believe it's a great market, high population, high consumer society. Uh, so it doesn't matter if you're selling drinking water, if you're selling juices, if you're selling biscuits for the kids, if you're selling, uh, well, other fast-moving consumer goods, even bread uh, and other confectionaries. That's the market for you, milk, oil, whatever. I would like the women to start venturing out there and start making some money or diversifying their businesses there and growing their businesses. So that is a, an initiative that I'm being involved in and I do believe that it will really help the women. I've also, I was also part of the Law Society, we call it the pro bono service, but that was before I joined equity. I've not been able to do it after I joined equity. Equity is a full-time job. So that one is in the past. I used to really support women at the FIDA, the FIDA, you know FIDA, mm -hmm. that supports women on litigation and, and legal advice. Um, although I've not been very active there of late. Uh, but I also have done a few personal initiatives. And uh, one of the ones I'm really proud about is um, the, the support to um, the school for the deaf in Nigori County, which I just actually did this year. Uh, we, we opened the classrooms in February uh, because uh, they have about uh, 70 children who have a hearing disability. Um, and they, they are coming from very um, disadvantaged backgrounds. And when I went to visit the school, just by chance, by on the invite of a friend of mine, we realized that um, uh, they had land, but they did not have buildings. So the kids were actually you know, literally uh, learning under a tree. Uh, or sometimes they would be accommodated by a neighboring children's home. And the neighboring children's home was telling them, well, we need the classroom now, so please get some other place to do your lessons. So I, I just mobilized a few friends and we were able to put up two beautiful uh, classrooms. So they were blessed on the 27th of February. And I'm very, very happy that now those children can learn in dignity. Because, you know, sometimes... Um, we believe that they are able differently and they have the skills. One of the things that they did during that launch was, um, and if you just see the videos, was uh, they, they had skits about what do I want to become? And, and one of them would say, I, when I grow up, I want to become a doctor. The other one would say, when I, I grow up, I want to become president Uhuru Kenyatta. And, and I'm like, wow. You know, they're just like our children. Just they, they have aspirations like all of us. They want to become something. And, um, and, and they just need someone to really give them a small push. So I did that successfully. And, and I'm very, very proud of that. In addition, I also do scholarships. I have supported several uh, women and girls, uh, not just through um, secondary education, 
but also through college. Because once I take you, uh, if you do well in a secondary school, I will not drop you because you may not be able to do much with your KCP and KCE certificate. Uh, so most of them, the ones who qualify, some have gone to Meru University. I have had two there. I've had one in Embu University. I've had one in Kenyatta University. I have um, had some in multimedia university doing the media and communications courses. I have uh, students in Makueni High School. One actually just finished their, their Form 4 exam, the last uh, session that they just did their exam. I've had uh, some in different places because I also believe that people supported me when I needed to be supported. When I was growing up, people came to my aid. So it is my turn now to support others also to come up. And they encouraged me and they paid my school fees. My, part of my school fees was paid through a bursary. That is the time when government bursaries actually used to be available and part of it was available to me, but it was not enough to pay my full school fees. So other people came in and supported because my mother, as I said earlier, was a peasant farmer. Uh, so she was not very able to meet the full fee. And we were six of us. I have five siblings. Uh, so that is why I do that. And, and, and I'm very, very happy with that initiative also because I've seen actually one of the girls became a nurse. Um, no, the one became a nurse, two have done information technology and records in medicine. Uh, so they, they, they are just on, on internship now. And when you see them, one has become um, a financial um, auditor. Uh, she's a finance person now, fully trained with a CPA up to CPA six. And she's doing very well. Now she's even married with two kids and they call me Shosho, you know, grandma. <laughs> So <laughs> I'm very happy <laughs> when I see them progress. Yeah, so that, those are the things that I really want to continue doing because for me, it makes a lot of sense. And for me, I believe that that is what helps me to create my own legacy in addition to the legacy I have created as an executive director of equity group. Now that you, I'm sure the Angaza Awards is definitely not the first awards you've, you've received given your engagement on and off on the bank. How would you use being a recipient of this award to influence others? Or rather, how would receiving this award impact your career? Okay, yeah, thank you. Um, the first thing is um, it, it has challenged me in a big way to look at my communication strategy, my PR strategy, and somebody asked me, oh, how come we don't see much of you on Twitter? We don't see much of you on LinkedIn. We don't see much of you. So it has really challenged me, uh, first of all, to really be active on those platforms because I've realized that one of the ways to really create impact is also to communicate through those platforms because a lot of people are reaching you and sharing ideas and, and through those platforms. So that is one thing. I'll use that to really communicate more and also to, you know, as a platform to network and reach out to others and challenge other women, especially the ones who have really succeeded and who are doing well, you know, to also play their part 
in uplifting the others and networking and communicating. I believe that we can use uh, that Angaza Award as a platform also to raise the confidence levels of our women and girls uh, in terms of uh, see what other women are doing. You can get there also. All you need to do is to do ABCD. I, I think for, for me, it gives us a very good platform to do that, to encourage the women to really have their voices heard because I think it's all about getting their voices heard and communicating their ideas very clearly and stating what support they require. I do believe that by creating the right networks, it will make the women's work more easy in terms of being able to get the support that they require to move to the next level. Uh, every time I open my LinkedIn account now, you know, I'm just seeing, you know, people doing great things and exhibiting great achievements, great innovations, uh, you know, different ways of doing things. Even the things that we used to do in a different now, there are many new ways of doing it. And people are displaying that, you know, on their social media platforms. So I believe it's a huge and very positive achievement for me. And it has really challenged me. And, and also the fact that the organizers felt and the judges panel felt that I was the one of the, and, and I know there are many women who have achieved many things, but I feel honored. They picked me as one of the top finalists because um, sometimes it takes another person to actually uh, put the mirror before you and tell you, look, this is what you have done over the last several years. Can you tell others what you have done so that it will also inspire them? I think that is what this award has done for me. And I'm certainly not going to, to waste that opportunity, even in terms of linking up with other like-minded organizations. We are working very closely with the, with the, with the KEPSA in organizing forum. And we, we are now even thinking, and, and also the Chamber of Commerce and Industry, which also brings together a lot of the women entrepreneurs and traders, uh, they, they, they are doing a fantastic job there. Uh, so for me, it's a huge opportunity now to link up with them, understand what we can do within their networks, the various networks, uh, so that we can spread the gospel, we can support those women in whichever way that they require the support. So I think for me, it's just like work has just begun uh, in that respect. Lastly, as we approach, of course, the end of the interview, looking back, what would you have done differently if you were given a chance to apply for the Angaza Awards? And what advice would you give prospective applicants? Well, um, what would I have done differently? Well, I'm not sure there was anything because when I just said what I've been doing <laughs> as it is, <laughs> Uh, well, uh, well, I, I was presently surprised that the judges picked me. But um, the, what, what I would like to tell the other applicants is uh, just a few lessons that I've learned in the course of my career. And the first one is um, it takes a lot of courage uh, to be an inspirational leader. Uh, because I think sometimes we tend to want to be popular leaders. And what I've learned is that you don't need to be a popular leader. 
just do what is right. It, it, it may not auger it well uh, with some of your constituents, but just do what is right. What is right will always win uh, because that is also the mantle. That, that's what I believe. That is my principle number one. I don't want to be a popular leader. I want to be a leader who is known for doing the right thing all the time. And I can stand by what I have done. And I can answer any questions that may come my way on what I have done. Right. The second one, especially for women, we need to be very authentic. Let us not try to be like so-and-so. I admire other women who have done it. But I don't want to be like them. I want to be the best version of myself. I want today to achieve more than I achieved yesterday. I am competing with myself, but also in the context of a larger environment. Once I understand what that environment is, I want to be better today than I was yesterday. So authenticity is very, very important. Why? Because also... Not being authentic is landing a lot of us into a lot of challenges. And, and I'll just give a very small example and say, sometimes, you know, we want to be like so-and-so, we want to drive the car they drive, we want to live in the estate they live, we want to, you know, well, that, that is usually the beginning of the end for some of us because we are not the same and God did not create us the same. There's a reason why God created each of us different from everybody else. Even the way we look, none of us has the same dimensions as the other. We are all very different. We are unique in our own way. That is how it's supposed to be. So authenticity, 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 even as we grow in leadership, that will win for us. Now, the other one I talked about, communication. Let's improve our networks because the networks will help us to be able to be on the table there. It's going to help us to see some opportunities that we may not have seen by ourselves. So networking, but networking with the right people. Make sure that you are always relating to people who are better than you. People you can learn something from today. Because if you're, if you're the best, always the best in your league, who will challenge you to do better? if you're always the best in your league. So go to that place where you're, you're feeling like, oh, I thought I was doing well. Oh, so you mean the others who have done even better. Let us go into the company of people who are going to challenge us every day to do better. Because that will also, you know, help us to raise our confidence and it will also inspire us that, yeah, yeah, oh, okay, I've achieved so much so far, yes, but I can do even better. That, that is it. And then, of course, the final one, be different. Let us aspire to be what we call A-class, world-class, A-players. Let's not settle for a B. Because what I've realized is that 95% of the people I meet today are just average, just average people doing the same, same things, and they are happy, they are comfortable. They will not stretch themselves. They don't believe they can wake up at 5 a.m. like I do 
to go to the office, they will say, well, I don't own the business, so why should I lose my sleep? They will remain average because A players are only 5% of the population. So we need to aspire to join that 5%, which is way above average because that is how we create our own distinction. And that is how we stand up above everybody else. Now, the other one is that word, audacious, <laughs> be audacious and courageous to do what you feel you have to do. Sometimes it requires a lot of courage. And, and I can tell you, especially now we are dealing with a pandemic. And I can tell you the environment has been very, very, very tough, very challenging. Whether you're in your own business or whether you are leading a team in a big, in a corporate setting, it is very difficult. We have to make very tough decisions. Some of those decisions may involve us to shut down some of our businesses. It might involve selling off some assets. It may involve scaling down operations. It may involve changing the business model. They are tough decisions. And we are saying, I've run this business for the last 10 years. I've run this business and it's been always very good. It's been giving us enough. Now it's no longer giving me anything. What do I do? So it is time for us to be willing and daring enough to make tough decisions because those decisions might determine whether we survive, especially this crisis or not. We, we had one customer who, and, and I'll, I'll talk about this because the story was uh, in the media, a documentary, who was running an Uber vehicle. I, I think Uber is, is a very dignified and distinguished kind of business. When the crisis hit, he had the car. When it's a man, he had the car. But there are no wateja, there are no customers. The car is grounded. He has children to feed. He has himself to feed. He has a bank loan. And he asked himself, so what do I do now? Everything is closed. Then he realized people are still eating. As we have to eat, my neighbors have to eat. So what he did is in his backyard, he started a bakery. And he started cooking mandazi, samosa, cakes, uh, cookies. And then he used that car as the distribution van from an Uber transporter to distributing cakes. That gentleman was able to repay his loan to the bank within, I think, three or four months in a crisis situation. When there was complete lockdown last year, the first lockdown, when the whole country was closed, that is all I would tell you. It is time to make hard decisions, but decisions need to be made nevertheless. We always say that better make the wrong decision than no decision at all. Don't just wait. Don't sit and wait. Make a decision 
anyway. That's what I would like to say. I think those are really, really heavy words. And um, yeah. Do you have any last words with regards to um, the Angaza Awards and recognizing the achievements of women? I think I would just like to say I'm very, very delighted and I really appreciate the recognition. And as I said earlier, for me, it's a wake-up call because it's going to inspire me to even better what I've been doing in the past and more importantly, to fast-track some of the initiatives that have already lined up for this year because I had a few initiatives that are being challenged and I also, people are asking me, oh, when are you um, uh, <laughs> doing what we agreed or what you said you are doing? So it's really challenged me. To, for me, it's a call to action or faster action. So I really want to thank the organizers for, first of all, creating the platform where we can talk about the involvement of women in development and also the diversity aspect, which is also very, very important. And, and also, first of all, celebrate the achievements because I think the moment we celebrate the achievements, of women who have done something and achieved something and achieved a lot, that is in itself a great, great inspiration, both to the women concerned and also to the others who get involved in the process. So for me, I really appreciate that. And also to say that I will be ready and willing to play my part, uh, whatever we need to do so that we can encourage our other women I'm willing to do it. I'm ready. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. To our listeners, that was Mary Wangari, um, the Group Executive Director at Equity Group Holdings. And she's also one of our top 10 participants in the Angaza Awards. Mary was a speaker in our 2020s Africa Women Leading in Finance Regional E-Conference. You can check her out on the Kenyan Wall Street podcast. She had quite, quite interesting insights to share with regards to building bridges to having more women on leadership. Mary, thank you so much for joining today's discussion. And I'm always looking forward to having you here. <laughs>